Hello and welcome back to the TTL, Tatani Talks Life. Welcome back from our hiatus. I hope you had a wonderful hiatus. We know we did. We're happy to be back. Brought to you by the Tani Talks Podcast. This is the sheer where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic, who is a real role model anyway? All of my podcasts of the TTP, Tani Talks Parsha, TTPA, Tani Talks Perkeavos, TTD, Tani Talks Staff, TTOT, Tani Talks OT. God willing, the Perkeavos and OT will be coming back hopefully next week in Mertzah And this live show brought back today are hosted by JewishPodcast.fm, the premier Jewish website for Jewish podcasting. Come join us today on this amazing platform, JewishPodcast.fm, with our sister app, Yidpod. JewishPodcast.fm, super, super easy to join. The shows are also on different podcast forums, including iTunes Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Jewish Podcast sister app, of Yidpod, the Jewish podcast app service downloaded on the App Store today. Support and follow the Tani Talks podcast, thechesedfund.com, 1S slash Tani Chesed Fund, 2S slash the Tani Talks podcast. Help us grow the dream, grow the vision, grow the show to go to greater and bigger heights in the future where we could do more with your support and your help. As a side note, a great way to hear podcasts and to hear kosher Jewish internet radio, including a new dedicated channel for the Tani Talks podcast hot off the presses from the past few weeks, is on the kosher clean internet Jewish radio of Naki Radio. It's awesome. It's a great device with an awesome website, a beautiful, brilliant platform of their portal. Get your say at nakiradio.com. They offer different radios you could have in your home, in the office, all over the place. The solo with one speaker, the duo with two speakers, or the home with two speakers and a cool look. You link it up to their website. You choose what internet shows you want to listen to, what podcasts you want to listen to, and it comes up on your device, including our channel. The shear should also be for the Rafua and Yeshua of anyone who wants or anyone who needs. I, of course, am reachable anytime at MaximumTEE at Yahoo.com. Growing up, we are inundated by society through Hollywood, TV, movies, radio, papers, and much more on who is to be our role model and who is to be our hero or heroes. Take a minute to think. Who are the first five people that come to mind if I were to ask you to name me someone famous? Let it simmer around. Five people famous. Next, I'll ask you to think who are your top five role models or heroes. Go ahead. Try it. Top five role models. Top five heroes. Unfortunately, I bet it's people from society, people from movies, people from TV, people from radio, from magazines and the like. I bet it is actors or actresses, sports players or musicians, celebrities or the like. The question is, why are these people famous? Why are these people role models? Do they deserve to actually be role models? In real life, are they actually good people? Are they actually good people? Chances are that in real life, they are not. Are they even married? Are they good spouses? Do they even have children? Are they kind? Are they benevolent? Are they charitable? Do they even have good morals? Do they have any morals at all? 
What makes them worthy of your admiration? What makes them worthy of making them into your role models or your heroes? Think about the true picture these people show us. I want you to think about the following different stories that I wrote up. Think if it strikes a chord with anyone in real society, in real culture, and think about how it plays out. Joe Lulbacker, who plays for the Jets for more than the past 10 years, is the teenage Yankel Fiverish's favorite football player. He has his posters all over his room and even has a signed autograph from him. However, did you know that Joe Lulbacker was recently arrested for possession and distribution of over 5 kilos of cocaine? He only got one week in jail and then made bail easily. Can he still be a role model at all for anyone? Johnny Pitts is one of the most successful actors in Hollowind. He gets paid $20 million to play Rock One, the duo of Rock and Spitz, his beloved dog, Weird Jeans, in his best-selling movie series franchise, Captain Lumberjack and the Majestical Jeans. So there's Rock and Spitz in this movie. The dog is wearing weird jeans, and Rock is the captain, Captain Lumberjack, and the Majestical Jeans. He's beloved by all and has a million-dollar smile that captures all of the world's hearts. Everyone gets starstruck when they see him, when they see Johnny. However, he recently left his family of five, of ten years of quote-unquote matrimony, whatever that means to him, moved to the Cayman Islands, took all of his money with him, leaving his wife and three kids with next to nothing, being forced to move into a small three-bedroom apartment from their 16-bedroom, $15.5 million estate of 30 acres with not much else but a beat-up second-hand minivan and petty cash. He gave no reasons for his actions, cannot be reached by his family or by anyone to comment. He has ghosted his whole family of over 10 years. He was not arrested. He was not faulted. He was not held liable on any account or on any charges. I ask again, is this really a role model to anyone? James Casherstein has one of the best-selling country albums of all time. His music is always playing on 104.9 Light Day FM and his songs are uber catchy. He has a great personality on stage and people pay $400 just to get into a concert in the nosebleed section of the bleachers. However, he recently was pictured holding up a store near his Bollerly Reels mansion because he left his wallet at home all to get a pack of cigarettes. He was put in jail for one night only and got off the hook without even paying bail. He got off the hook without even having to pay any bail. He was literally in jail for one night without having to pay much bail. The question again is, is he really a role model at all? These people, James Casherstein, Johnny Pitts, Joe Lulbacker, are they really role models at all? Joe DiMigano is the inventor of the talking hand robot called Handoid. He was paid $7 million to sell it to Amazon. He is the face of the ad slogan, I have to hand it to you, hands-free since 2003. But do you know, 
He was videoed on countless occasions being obnoxious and rude and even nasty to people around him. At one point, he was captured on video making nasty remarks about different people, including Jews. Yet no one cares, and sales only went up. They even renegotiated his contract and gave him an extra million just for fun. A role model? I don't think so. John DiMagano or Joe DiMagano, James Casherstein, Johnny Pitts, Joe Lulbacher. Are these really role models at all? Yet these are countless people, examples of many facets of society, many facets of culture, of people that are looked up to, people that are held as role models, people that are held as heroes. Why? In their private lives, in their side lives, when they're off the stage, off the field look what they do they run away from their family they do drugs they they steal money they hold up people they're nasty have no morals no ethics about them and yet they're held up to such high positions as role models are these real role models i don't think so so who is a real role model anyway that is the question to think about these stories may be up by my true these stories may be made up by yours truly but i bet it's not far from the truth. We think about Disney's princes and heroes and even Marvel superheroes and think they save the world, they save the day. But I want you to think clearly about it. All these people, Iron Man and Hulk and Thor and Hawkeye and and Captain America, Batman and Superman, see the flyer. But in real life, are these really people that are role models? Do they have real family structures? Do they have real real aspects to their day in real life these people are not who you would ever want to look up to as a real role model mind you each and every disney story if you analyzed it is seriously messed up many have no parents or siblings many have messed up family relationships and a lot of the plot lines are super disturbing borderline creepy you could think of one story where the princess is not even alive is dead the person has to wake her up Another one, there's no parents. Another one, they're in the sea and they're not really human. All these stories are borderline creepy. These are not really aspects to want to look up to or should look up to. Even the great Harry Potter, which I myself am a huge fan of, I personally love the story, has no real family to speak of. No parents, no siblings, an aunt and uncle that hate his guts, a cousin that hates him, albeit some great friends, and albeit Stumbledore amongst many others, even though he's killed off at the end of six, which I never agreed with. Anyway, albeit some great friends, and when he's older and married in the sequel of The Cursed Child, which I took my wife to see too, and dramatically it was awesome, the story itself, though, is not too enlightening or optimistic. He does not have such a good relationship with his wife. It shows him and his wife on the Ritz, on the skits, and even Ron and Hermione, not so great relationship going on when they're older, and a relationship with his children, not so great, especially, obviously... Albus, the, the epitome of the story, with his friend, uh, whatever his name is, I can't remember offhand. Really not so enlightening, not so optimistic. Definitely does not depict really good relationships, especially in all these stories. The question is, I want you to think of the characters of so-called heroes and role models in culture and society and media. These people like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and Green Lantern and Hawkeye 
What kind of a life do they live? Do they ever even hold down a job or hold down a relationship? Even Spider-Man, you know, they say he's a cameraman by day for the paper. Superman writes for the Daily Globe, the Daily Planet. But really, do they really have jobs or they're just running around being a vigilante, which the police don't even like? You know, Batman, in the many different Batmans, especially the Dark Knight ones, he's ostracized by the community by taking the law into his own hands. Is this really the models that we want children to look up to? That they could just take everything into their own hand? They could trash society around them? They could take down whoever they want? Is there no law and order and police? The question is, are these so-called heroes, these so-called role models, are they ever home? Do they have children? Do do the storylines even give them children? Or society and culture in general doesn't even value children. I tell my wife often, how many ads do you see for cars and pets? And how many ads do you see about children? Society is a little bit warped, a little bit backwards, that they're really not pro-child. The average American family is 1.2 children. How do you have 0.2 of a child? 1.2 1.2 is the average, and I think in Europe it's like 1.1. Terrible. Obviously, in Judaic society, thank God, it's much higher. You know, average families, two, three, four, five, six, whatever, Baruch Hashem. But in general, there is not much value given to the children. And there's a whole movement, you know, a parent choice, and yada, yada, I'm going to get to that politically and whatnot. But they don't even give them children. If they have children, how much attention do they give to their kids, even if they have kids, which is so not usual? Like, think of a superhero. Think of a character. I can't think offhand of any character that has a family. The only one that I could think of is actually Hawkeye, the Disney series that, that came out a couple of months ago. Fantastic. They actually give him three kids. But, of course, his kids are in the middle of Iowa, and he's in New York City trying to take down the mob. So that's a seriously messed up line. He has no time for his family. He's too busy saving the world. But other characters, there's almost no character I could think of that's married or has children. They're usually by themselves, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a boyfriend, maybe not. Are these the role models that were not espousing the idea of having children? Where is the attention to children, the family life? And if they are married, which is very unusual also, do they give attention to their spouse? Do they give attention to their partner? Or are these heroes, so-called heroes, Batman, Superman, and the like, are they just always out at night and all day fighting quote-unquote crime and thinking that they are better than the law, better than law and order, and causing mayhem in their wake? I used to love Batman and Superman, along with Spider-Man and so many others, many of the Marvel heroes. All these Disney shows I find awesome. You know, you think about The Mandalorian. is a huge movement nowadays. Obviously, has no relationships to speak of. A bounty hunter, Boba Fett, no relationships to speak of. Bob, a bounty hunter. But there are no real relationships. You think about all these people. Why is that? What does society and all these channels try to teach us to value? causing mayhem in the in the sake of justice quote-unquote what you call justice or revenge really batman is out for revenge all these years after his parents are taken away from him another crazy example there are no parents superman lost his whole whole world his whole family no parents batman lost his parents no friends no stable relationships no stable jobs no stable kids or homes to speak of do these people have any stability in their life do they have any good wise moral decisions Are there really relatable characters at all? Are there really teachable characters at all? Are they really there for, at the end of the day, role models at all? Even when we read books and we read novels, and I'm all for the Jewish novels. I'm a huge, huge proponent. We in our neighborhood have the FLL, the Free Lending Library, to give out the Jewish novels. We're hoping to raise it and make it bigger and and greater one day. 
Besides for that, when you read the reads and the books and the novels, and I'm talking even Jewish books and novels, besides for what shows or TV or radio we choose to watch or listen to, it has to be with careful choosing. Even the great Jewish novels my wife and I read a lot of times have really messed up relationships. They do not have good relationships. They do not show good spouse relationships. Half the book they're spent arguing and fighting, and then they have to go to a therapist to figure it out. The therapist teaches them you really need to be kind to each other. You really need to be nice to each other. You have to have day, date night with each other, spend time with each other every night, which is something in retrospect should have been obvious, should have been blatantly obvious, but the relationships seen and, and out there in the world, unfortunately, are so not correct that we have to read about it to get it done. So we have to make sure to understand what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're seeing. We have to realize what is presented to us, and oftentimes it's not the good role model. Oftentimes it's not the good material. Oftentimes it's not good hero material. Even the Hallmark movies, which, thank God, 99% of the time are clean, the relationships they're shown are so messed up. We always say the last 18 minutes, there's always that fight. Always last 15 minutes, there's always that avoidable fight. Unnecessary fight. Why did you put a fight just because, you know, they said, ah, he didn't tell me that he really was the lumberjack of the town. Had I known that he really would have done that, he chose his job over me. He sent me to Chicago. He should have came with me to Ontario. He should have came with me to New York. It would have been a simple solution if they just talked, if they just interacted. And for some reason, it's always dramatized for the movie. But it's not good role model material. And there's never ever siblings. There's barely ever more than one child to the whole family, which makes no sense. Perpetuating the stereotype in American secular society where there's one kid families, which I do not agree with. But they're not showing the right material. They're not showing the proper material. They're not showing good hero role model material. The question therefore becomes, after thinking all this through and thinking about it and, and analyzing it, how can we find what a real role model is? And the question therefore becomes, who is a real role model anyway? Obviously, we can't choose how many kids we have. We do what we can to be involved, and we shall be zochet to have many children. Obviously, many people have struggles, but people who willingly choose not to have in society, there's a movement to have a pet instead of a kid. That's what I'm referring to. Halavai, we shall be zochet to have many children. Everyone should be zochet to only have simchos and good things. But the question becomes, what is the real role model? Who is a real role model anyway. I think of my own dad, who even though I only got to have nine years with him, made a real impact on my life, was a role model to me, to everyone around me, as a helper, as a doctor, as a leader, and as so much more. I think of myself, I want myself to be a a good role model for all my own kids, for the the girls and the boys. I want them to be a role model for my wife and for those around me in, in the society and in the community and the world at large. And we each should want to do so. The question is, how? The first key element to realize and remember is that kids, we should all be zolka to have kids, many kids, and only happy, healthy marriage relationships and the like. Everyone should be zolka to find their ziva. Everyone should be zolka to have children. Many children, everyone should be zolka to have parnas and good things. When we think about parenting, we think about influencing those around us, the the people we have to influence most, obviously, are the children that we should be zolka to raise. Kids learn from what we do, not what we say. You could say things till you're blue in the face. You could say things till you're green and puking in the face, but it goes in one ear, out the other. What really stays is that kids learn from what we do, the actions we take, not what we say. If I say, I will do this for someone, or do that for someone else, but I don't do it, what am I teaching my kids? That my word 
My words really have no value, have no substance, have no element to it, have no concreteness to it. I'm not following through on what I say, on what I do. You need to make sure to follow through with things and to do them to really influence and really inspire. If I show my kids I'm giving clothing to someone else, I'm making time to donate clothing to someone else. We went to the Yadlea Drive. We try to do it annually, Blineder. Baruch Hashem, we were able to give away three bags this year. Different years, we try to give away a different amount. The kids were in the car. Davka seeing, oh, look, they went around. They opened the trunk. Look, Abba. Look, Mommy, they threw the bags into the trunk. Where is it going? Why is there such a big truck? What are they doing with it? It's a real teachable moment. They see physically someone is taking our clothing that we're not using. That's old. Three bags full of stuff. And we say, you know, we're sending it away to Israel. We're giving it to people that don't have. Making sure people will be warm in the winter, have clothing. Wow, that's cool. You know what we did yesterday? My Abba and I went. We all went in the car. We gave away clothing. If I show my kids I'm giving clothing to someone else, if I show my kids I'm giving books to someone else, because everything we have is not for us, oftentimes people come to the FLL, to the free lending library in our house, in our basement, with a separate entrance. The kids follow me, and they say, Ah, Abba, is anyone coming to the library today? Can we give books to anyone? Is anyone coming? Who could we give to? Oh, did you get more books for them? They see I am giving away these things. They don't belong to me. They don't really, they're not really owned by me because everything in life, we realize that we're really a shomer. We're really guardians of the galaxy that Hashem gives us, guardians of the items Hashem gives us. We don't really own anything. It's like Hashem gave us money. Hashem gave us things. It's not ours to keep. We're going to hoard books and keep it for ourselves. What's the point? We're going to hoard clothing for 20 years, keep it for ourselves. What's the point? Show your kids, show yourself, show your spouse. You're giving it to someone else. I'm giving away items. Anyone need to borrow this? Anytime. I'm giving away books. I'm giving away utensils. Ah, I have a stroller from 10 years ago that I don't use anymore. Yes, let me give it to someone else in the community who could use it. They don't have money. They need a chesed. They need an ability. Let me give away the triple one I never use. Let me give the old double one I don't use anymore. Let me give away the old single one that doesn't work anymore. It could work for them. I'm giving it away. Ah, but who are you giving it to? Uh, you know, this family really doesn't have a lot of money. It would be a really nice thing for us to give it to them. Oh, they really don't have enough bowls. Let's give them some bowls. Let's give them some items. Let's give them some books, some clothing. What can I give to them? Kai Lifeline has toy drives every year. What can I give to them? Toys we don't use anymore. Things we don't use anymore. I can't use it. Can someone else? Even a food item. We talked about this a lot and donate this, donate that a couple of weeks back. If you're not able to use a food item because you have a daily a dairy allergy or a gluten allergy or you don't want MSG in the house, whatever, someone else can have it. I gave away a consomme last last week because it had an ingredient I didn't like. Within 10 seconds, someone claimed it because someone can use it. Why throw it out? Someone else can use it. If I show my kids through action, what can I do? What can I give? That is the best way for them to learn. They see what I am doing. If I show my kids what I'm doing for someone else, giving to someone else, that's the way to learn. Abba, are you cooking for anyone this week? Yes. We cooked for someone the other day. They lost someone, so I sat down and I cooked, and we tried to give them a whole meal. I've talked about this many times. You can't just go halfway. I'm not just going to show up with one pan that has a couple of noodles with a little bit of meat in it. No, not me. I'm not going to show up with a half-baked thing with a little pan. No. Even if it's a family of two or three or four, it was a family of six that we we're cooking for anyway, but still, we want to go above and beyond. If we're going to give to someone, we're going to do for someone, do the action the right way, the full way. Give them a pan of broccoli, a pan of cauliflower, a pan of rice, and then a pan of chicken, and then a fruit platter for the dessert. Throw in two seltzers, throw in utensils and napkins and plates. 
cups, spoons, and bowls, and zehu. That is a fully encompassed meal from start to finish. I don't want them to have to scrounge around, getting the forks and knives, trying to find if they have any drinks left in the house. Let it be fully complete. Don't show up with one pan and nothing else. That doesn't solve the dinner for them. It doesn't solve the dinner for them. Many years ago, it's it's happened that I myself did that once, and I really didn't like it when it was given back to me. One little pan of was not good. I like it to be fully inclusive, and it's actually interesting. Baruch Hashem, we had a girl, the fourth kid. We had a meal train. We were zuchah to a meal train for five weeks, and I loved it when people said, you know, I told my wife, but we were inspired by Tani. You know, many times he makes food for people. He makes it fully inclusive. I wanted to make sure to measure up, so we tried to include everything in the meal too, and I'm like, ah. That was awesome. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. When people see that the revolution where everyone can make a fully encompassed, a fully included meal train meal or potluck meal instead of just showing up for a family of six or a family of seven and eight with one little round pan for dinner, that's not going to be enough. It's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be helpful enough. And I can't show up at 7.30 when their dinner is 5 o'clock and then they're stuck the whole night. So if you're going to give, you got to give the whole way. If name is sure as I did above and beyond. You want to be a real role model for your kids? You want to give to other people? Make it fully inclusive. Abba, you forgot the drink for them. Abba, you forgot the napkins for them. Abba, you, did you give them the dessert? Did you give them the sides? Did you give them the chicken? Okay, Abba, we'll see you in a few minutes. Go above and beyond. Don't give one shirt away if they're coming for a clothing drive and they spend their whole day with us. Don't give one half of a half of a half of a bag. Go above and beyond. The Fnei Meshurah Zedin, be generous in nature. We've talked about generosity. We've talked about chesed. Make it, make it ingrained in yourself to be a good role model. Give three bags of clothing away. Don't just make one little tiny pan of chicken. That's not going to help anyone if it's a family. Go above and beyond. Give them the chicken, the rice, the fruit, the utensils, the drink and dessert. Go all the way. The kids will learn from your behavior to be giving and generous as well. The answer to the role model question, I believe, is to be someone who is involved in doing mitzvahs through action. Someone who has real values. Someone who does really good things in life. Spreading good for the world with Torah, mitzvahs, and chesed. But doing so as a humble person, not looking for acclamation, not looking for honor. Being a humble person. You don't even hear about it or know about it. The total opposite of what we see in society. Oh, do you know John Higgins Clark gave $20 million to the cancer fund? He's such a great person. How much greater would it be if John Higgins Clark gave the $20 million and we didn't even know about it? And he gave it anonymously. But nowadays in society and culture, it's all about the ego. And we talked about the ego a couple of weeks ago also. It's all about giving to yourself, wanting that honor, running after the honor. You know, you run after honor, it's going to run away from you. It's not going to stay with you. Perkevus proves to us, teaches to us. You want real honor, you run away from honor. Every single person can be their own role model and be a role model for their children. When we talk about talking about role models, we're talking about ourselves. We're talking about each other. We're not just looking at the guy that got one hour of sleep and was able to see 150 Jewish people every two minutes. We're talking about ourselves. How can we be our own role models for our kids and those around us? It's not just words. You can't just say words. It's about talking the talk and walking the walk. It's about actual doing actually getting things done yeah i'm gonna give uh, a million dollars tomorrow now don't say it if you can't do it say what you mean and, and mean what you say do what you say and say what you do yes i will god willing give the 10 percent on my check if i have the money i have the ability and i run it by my rabbi if i have the funds yes i will do it don't say you'll do it if you're not going to do it because you say something but you don't go through with it 
that's really not good. It's kind of devastating in a way, kind of going backwards in a way. Words go a tiny bit, but really actions go a long way. Words go in one ear, out the other. Don't just talk the talk and walk the walk. Make sure to actually do it. That's why Pirkei says, who is greater, someone who sits and learns or someone who sits and learns in order to practice and action and get things in place in order to inspire others? Wrote to Lil Mod, you know, you know, he'll be able to learn and maybe teach. But someone who wants to he'll be able to do all that. Hashem will give him the ability to learn and to teach and to give and to do. Because it's not to be confined to the base measures. It's not to be confined to the house. You're not supposed to learn and be insular in yourself. How you could ever fulfill the other 612 mitzvahs? Those involve us being involved with people. How could you answer the question after 120 years where you're honest in business if you never left your home? You never left the base measures. We're not meant to be hermits. We're meant to be in working society and in learning society. We're supposed to be earner, learner, learn earners as much as you can learn. doesn't mean it has to be 20 hours a day, but even if you could put in a five minutes, an hour. I love it when you have those store clerks, the storekeepers, like my wife's family, the Zayda and the great Zayda, when they ran a butcher shop, they ran a store in between customers, five minutes they pulled out a Mishnayis, five minutes they pulled out a Gemara. If you're at work and you have a loan, after I saw my eight kids for the day and I have a little break, let me break out my Gemara, do a little Gemara, let me break out my my Steinmikra, see if I could do a little Steinmikra. Even these months and these years of doing remote, can I do a little bit of Steinmikra? Can I do a little bit of Dafyomi before I get in my day or when I have a break in the day? Make sure to get it involved in your day. Actions go a long way. Words go in one ear, out the other. Interestingly, Lahavda Wikipedia explains that a role model is a person whose behavior, example, or success is or can be emulated by others, especially by younger people. So what can you do to be such a role model? W.E.B. Du Bois is reported to have said, children learn more from what you are than what you teach. And I would add, of course, children learn more from what you do than what you say or what you teach. Harlan Coben has said, kids don't do what their parents say, they do what they see their parents do. Actions speak much louder than words. Oe Batista has said, the best inheritance a parent can give his children is a few minutes of his time every day. One of the best articles on Asia I've ever seen was someone talking about how they have six children and every single Shabbos, the father tries very hard to give 10 minutes to each child. And you read the article and you're like, 10 minutes a child? Shabbos is 25 hours. You only have 10 minutes per child? But then if you think about it, and everyone should be zelcha, but when you, when you have kids and you see how difficult and crazy the day is to give those people that 10 minutes, each kid gets a special 10-minute walk with Abba is actually a really nice thing and it's actually very generous because there's so much you have to do with your day. You need to sleep a little bit, you need to learn a bit, you need to daven, and you sing and you say Torah. So at the end of the day, how much hours do you have left? And the kids a lot of times have play dates, and a lot of times they're lunch with people, and a lot of times you want to nap. So how much time is really left? So to give the 10 minutes per child, that's the best inheritance. Even the non-Jews realize, the secular realize, that the best inheritance a parent can give his children is a few minutes of his time each and every day. How true are all these statements? Statements we should try to implement and live by. 
YETFrederickton.ca explains, Mahavdil, the top five qualities of role models that teens try to look for according to secular society. One of them is passion and the ability to inspire. Another one is a clear set of values. Another one is commitment to community. We obviously can see all these things in Judaism, which came way before. Selflessness and acceptance of others and the ability to overcome obstacles. Different qualities that teens look for in a role model. Do you have passion? Are you able to inspire? Do you have values that are clear that your children and others can see? Do you have community? Are you related to the community? Do something to help the community? We talked a lot about gemachs on Donate This, Donate That. We ourselves have the book gemach, but what else you can do in your life? Very easy to start something, to get involved in something. What is your commitment to your community? Do you help others? Do you cook for others? Do you give to others? Are you selfless? Are you accepting of others? Do you see obstacles and get over them? Or do you let every little thing become something that's aggravating for you, that's difficult for you, that's upsetting for you? Every little question, every little decision? Now, we can make thousands of decisions a day as children, especially young children, and it doesn't get in our way. What can we get over? What is considered a real obstacle? Yes, some of them are very difficult. Yes, it could be crazy. I've been placed in many, many, many difficult places, including a recent one. How do we get over that type of an obstacle? The question is, are these qualities we can try to have within ourselves and show it to others? H.com points out with author Debbie Godfriend a story from when she was a kid. It was 9 p.m. and she was supposed to be asleep in bed. It had been a rough day in first grade for her. The age of, of our oldest son, actually first grade, so about six or seven. Someone had teased her about her new shoes and her team had lost the kickball game at recess. She peered around the dining room's doorway and saw her father sitting by the table with his late dinner. He had just arrived home from work, maybe an accountant, they have crazy hours throughout the year, and he looked tired. The Wall Street Journal was open in front of him. His head was probably drooping from the tiredness also. She tiptoed into the room. She slid into a chair. She waited for him to tell her to get back to sleep. Instead, he closed his newspaper and smiled. Hey, kiddo, you look like you had almost as rough a day as I had, he said as he offered her some buttered bread. She didn't realize how hungry she was. She didn't eat much at dinner. She poured out her woes as her father listened. He didn't say anything. He just listened. Sometimes people just want you to listen. It's the classic case. I think I've talked about this before. There's a famous ad where a husband and wife are sitting and there's a nail, a CGI effect of a nail in the woman's head. And she goes on and on and on complaining about the nail, complaining about the nail. And the husband says, you know, I could just take it out. You'd feel much better. And she said, it's not about the nail. Listen to me. It's not about the nail. Don't try to fix it. It's about the pain. Sometimes you just need to listen. And we all have to be much better listeners, including myself, obviously. We all have to have much more empathy and sympathy. And here in this story, the father didn't even do anything. He just listened. Then he pointed to a scholastic book catalog on the table. Mommy told me what a great reader you're becoming. Do you want me to pick out some books? Do you want to pick out some books and I'll order them for you? Unburdened from her day, she sat with her father and she chose books from the brightly colored pages. Of course, I love books and the book order is always great. My son brings one home every month. I miss them, of course, a few months, but we try to usually get them. They're so brightly colored. They're so cool. They actually had a book fair a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. We sent him money for him. He brought home the book. He was so excited. So cool for little kids. It wasn't until years later the author realized how tired her father must have been that night and how badly he must have wanted to just be left alone to read his newspaper in peace. Instead, he put down the newspaper 
He realized that being a father, the parent was the highest priority and thought about what the kid needed. Because to be a role model, you don't have to solve crime. You don't have to be a vigilante. You don't have to take out the whole city with your cape, with your super belt or whatever, with your bat cave or your batmobile or with your green ring. You just need to sit and put the kids first. Sometimes there are crucial things that kids need from their father, but of course it applies to mothers and parents as well, to be that role model. Children look up to their fathers and mothers and yearn to be like them from earliest years. Sons will watch how the fathers work and speak and play sports. Daughters will often choose spouses who reflect their father's values or uncles or people like that. Every conversation interaction that your child witnesses can become part of what they try to imitate. Father's connection, a parent's connection, and feeling towards Judaism create a foundation for the children's spiritual lives. Make sure your life embodies the traits and ideals you want your children to reflect. Another thing, of course, like the story points out, is a listening ear. Children need their parents, their fathers, to listen to them. When you stop what you are doing to give your child attention, he or she knows that you not only love him but are interested in his or her life. Fathers and parents who can listen without immediately jumping into problem solve. Don't try to take out that nail right away. Just listen to what the nail is doing. Create crucial space for the children's feelings. They teach their kids that it's okay to feel angry or sad or defeated. They won't be judged for their failures. The Torah tells us do not harden your heart or close your hand at Devarim. Being open to others emotionally, listening to them is harder, often more important than giving anything else because it requires us to give of our own hearts. A coach. Sometimes you need someone in your life to tell you when your shot is off or when you're not trying hard enough in school or you're driving the wrong way down a one-way street. Parents, fathers can be amazing coaches. They can tell their kids the truth when they need to hear it and encourage them to keep reaching for their goals. There's no limit for a child whose father or parent coaches him and believes in him or her every step of the way. A comforter. Their most comforting words a child can hear are, it's going to be okay. These words spoken from a father or a parent mean everything because that parent knows how to fix your bike, how to catch the huge spider in the kitchen. I might catch it, but I might scream beforehand. You won't hear anyone louder than myself when the bugs are around. I can tell you that. How to build a campfire, how to put it out. He knows when things are going to be okay and when they are not. Fathers and parents can give their children hope and courage and strength. Sometimes it only takes those five words. It's going to be okay. A source of wisdom. Parents, fathers can see what makes their children shine and what brings them down. They can help them choose the right friends, the right classes, the right spouses. But the best fathers, the best parents are able to do this selflessly. To put aside their own interests, help their kids choose what will make them happiest, even if it conflicts with their own goals. It's a delicate tightrope that parents must walk, but children yearn for their parents' approval. Helping a child choose what is best for him is a precious blessing that a father or parent can give. Getting to that objective place as a parent is hard, but teaching a child Torah can help pave the way by bringing eternal wisdom and ideas into the picture. Learning together creates a strong, deep bond between parents and children as they share and explore questions and answers about life itself. Even though the author was talking about a father per se, it of course applies to moms and parents and caregivers as well. Parents are the anchors and real role models. 
H.com points out from author Adina Sokloff, We all want our children to grow up to be resilient, kind, and caring adults. One of the most important ways to do is to make sure that they have a good role model. Obviously, the most influential and significant role model that they have is their parents. Children do what we do, not what we say, and they pick up on everything. This can give us the push me to improve our own character traits. And when our children exhibit poor behavior, before we rush to punish, we should take a good look in the mirror. If our child is behaving irresponsibly, it might mean that we've been shirking our responsibilities. If our child is being disrespectful, it might mean that we have to take a look at how we have been speaking to our loved ones. There are seven ways we can be a good role model for our children. Number one, be positive. No one likes a grump, although mornings... And now night times, very late at night, very, very difficult for many of us. But no one likes a grump in general. Optimistic people are generally more resilient, more well-liked, and subsequently more successful in life. One of the best gifts you can give your children is to role model positivity. Even when it's hard to do so, even if you're, when you're not really happy, fake it till you make it. We can simply talk about the good things that happened to us that day at dinner, even bedtime. What is one thing that happened good today? What was your favorite part of school today? What's your favorite part of school throughout the week? When something challenges ha- happens to us, challenging or challenges happen to us, we can say, I am sure there's something good with this setback. The Torah tells us, Rabbi Kiva used to say, everything that happens to us happens for the best. And Nachem Mishkamas used to say, everything's for the best. What is good about this setback? I might not see it now, but maybe down the line I could think that something good will come from it. And in retrospect, in hindsight, maybe I could see. This gives children a clear picture on how to weather the vicissitudes of life with happy, healthy attitude. Parents who cultivate a sense of good fun create a loving atmosphere in their home. Jokes Lightheartedness can help a child and parent develop a wonderful relationship. Make sure to be healthy. Childhood obesity is an all-time high. It's not easy, but we need to eat properly, find time to exercise. Children who see their parents eating well, exercising, going to the doctor when they are sick, God forbid, and maintaining regular checkups will have an easier time managing their own health. Understand to keep your cool. Do you have an angry kid? This is the perfect opportunity to model anger management techniques. For example, if you get angry, use the talk out loud technique. Don't say, you're demented. What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? Are you insane? None of that is helpful. None of that is accurate. None of that will do anything for anything. Say things like, oh boy, I am getting really upset right now. I'm going to count to five and see if that helps. Examine what triggers your anger. Everyone gets angry for different reasons. For example, I know when I'm tired, I'm more susceptible to snapping at anyone around me, family included. I will let my kids know I am tired today. I have to really work on my patience because when I'm tired, I get irritated and angry easily. If I start to see that my patience is short, I'll take a break instead of yelling. This gives children a living model so they can hopefully try to figure out what their own triggers are. Of course, be respectful. One of the biggest complaints often about modern children is their lack of respect. One of the reasons for this is they don't have good models for respectful behavior. Whether it's television or just the world around them, sadly, studies have shown that people in general are ruder. As parents, we need to step up our game. Children learn the most from how we interact with our spouses. Treating our spouse with respect is the first step. Then we need to act respectfully toward our children. We can do this by speaking in a calm manner. Avoid barking out commands. Take out the garbage now! and by listening to them and their needs. This also means appreciating them for who they are, not who we want them to be. Who they are, not who we want to shape them to be. 
be caring. If we want our children to care for others, then they obviously need to see us act in nurturing ways and caring ways. Again, this starts with how we care for our spouse, spouse first, our children and our extended family. We can also do this by volunteering, cooking for shut-ins or new mothers or people that lose people, God forbid, and giving tzedakah. Let your child help you. Depending on their age, they can cook some of the dinner, deliver the packages, or just put the coin in the tzedakah box for you. They actually love when I let them help me. And actually, the boys the other day, not the girls, not the baby and the, and the toddler, but the boys at least helped the other day. They put some of the garlic powder with me. I let them shake it with me and the salt and the pepper and the onion powder and the pepper and the chili powder. You know, I use the big six. Those are my big six spices in general for the cauliflower and for the broccoli. And they were very happy to help. And it was very easy to let them help. And they felt like they were involved in the process. And that's really good for them. Talk about your values. If your children are not exhibiting the behavior you'd like to see, avoid the long lectures. Instead, talk about yourself using the ever-handy parenting technique of I statements. For example, if your child lies to you about their homework, instead of saying, how could you lie about your homework? What were you thinking? What's the matter with you? Never a good statement. It's important that homework should be done in a timely fashion. I would appreciate honest answers in the future. That's much more helpful than saying, is something wrong with you? What's the matter with you? Are you demented? Is there something wrong with your brain? That is really not helpful. Talk about the I statements. I would appreciate honest answers in the future. If your older child is watching a TV show on the slide you don't approve of, instead of saying, how can you watch such garbage? It's so not appropriate. You should watch educational shows. It's best if you just say, I would appreciate if you watch shows that align with our family's values. The violence and content is not something that I approve of. Then just sit back and let it sink in. Further arguments won't pack as big a punch as those two sentences. It's also too helpful to remember at that point what Michael C. Bradley excuse me, says in his book, Yes, your teen is crazy. He assures parents that your morals, values, and ethics become an integral part of your child's psychological makeup. If you have been imparting good values to your children, they will stay with them for the rest of their life. During adolescence, they may have put them in cold storage, but they're there and they will reappear in time. Finally, love them. You want to have a good, loving relationship with your child. The more you show them that you love them unconditionally, regardless of anything you may have given or done for them, it's not unconditioned that they call you or do this or visit you or that. The more they love you, respect you, and want to be like you in an unconditional way. Try to see if you can implement some, if not all, of these points in your life. See what effect it can have on your kids and the people around you. Hopefully, it will positively affect your life your kids, and the world around you. H.com points out that we need to learn from positive role models. Every person you meet today will have positive qualities, habits, and strengths that you can learn from. Learn from role models who handle difficult situations calmly and effectively. As Perkevos teaches, Ezehu Chacham Halomed Mikol Adam. And we'll look at that again, God willing, in Merz Hashem. The really smart person, the really wise person is someone that learns something from everyone. Even people that do much bad in the world, you can learn what to avoid. Even people that do things you don't like, you can learn what not to do. Rabbi Kellerman points out on H.com, he has fascinating lectures. He talks one about the birth of his child, which is crazy. Crazy lecture, very interesting. He also has the Xmas lecture, very interesting. You can hear him on simpletoremember.com and other places. But here he points out on h.com that our tradition tells us 
that we parents and teachers can be powerful role models. The rabbis of the Talmud long ago explained, for example, that a child speaks in the marketplace the way he heard his parents speaking at home. He heard it from somewhere, and it was from home. Psychologists also remind us that the model we parents present influences even our youngest children. If we respond to disobedience harshly, our children and students will likely do the same. If we are dishonest or steal, God forbid, the odds are that our children will internalize these behaviors too. Whether or not we intend to do so, through example, we plant our own behavior in our children. Unless they make heroic efforts to uproot these seeds later in life, our children will grow up to be very much like us. Of course, we parents can also be the most powerful positive role models in our children's lives. A mother whose child attends Yeshiva High School told the author this fascinating story. She went to the market with her children. When she was checking out, the clerk failed to properly credit her for a promotional item. After unsuccessfully trying to rectify the matter with the checkout clerk, the woman approached the store manager and explained the mistake. The manager was busy, not terribly interested in the woman's complaint, and initially uncooperative. However, eventually the manager reached into his cash drawer, handed her $2 compensation. On their way home, the woman realized that the manager had given her too much money, maybe a dollar too much. She was already late, however, could not return to the market. That night, however, the woman could not sleep. She kept thinking about the money in her wallet that did not belong to her. Lahavda, 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 Palmer is coming up. And we talk about, of course, the Melch being Hashem, but even the wicked Ahasuerus could not sleep at night. Something was bothering him. He did not repay. Obviously, this is what Hashem wanted him to think. He did not repay Mordechai. Lahavda, 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 this person could not sleep at night. She was thinking about the money that did not belong to her. She could not figure out what to do. She had to repay that dollar. In the morning, she rushed the children to get ready for school early, left with them ahead of schedule and drove straight to the market. There, in front of her children, she explained to the manager the mistake he had made the previous day. The manager was not interested in the story, but took the overpayment and returned it to the register drawer. Months later, the woman's son took a difficult test at school. Most students did poorly on the test, but her child received a mark of A+. Indeed, in front of the class, the teacher praised the boy for his perfect performance. Then, because so many students have received low grades, the teacher decided to review the correct answers aloud to the class. During the review, the boy realized that he had actually made a mistake in the exam, but the teacher had failed to see it. Throughout the review, the boy struggled with his desire for the A+. Going back and forth, I really want the A+, but I don't deserve it. But I really want the A+, but I don't deserve it. Ultimately, his conscience triumphed. I don't deserve it. After class, he approached the teacher and pointed out the grading error. At home later that day, the boy told his mother the story. She praised him. I'm so proud of you, Kyle. I'm so proud of you. What a great job, making up the name, for his willingness to sacrifice his A+, on the altar of honesty. Her son explained that a battle, a huge battle, had raged inside of him while he listened to the review. But then he remembered his distraught mother trying to give some cash back to a market manager. One dollar made all the difference. The boy told his mother that in that moment, his internal battle ended, and he realized what he was going to do. As a pleasant afternote to the story, the teacher was so impressed with the boy's honesty, she rewarded him by giving him the A-plus anyway, despite the mistake. Most parents and teachers realize that values and perspectives must be planted by personal example. However, in practice, we sometimes try to build into our children and students behavioral routines we personally have not yet mastered. We insist that they control their anger, even though we sometimes show rage oftentimes. 
In short, we insist they do what we can. We insist our children get proper sleep, even though we scrape by on far less than we need. We insist they eat properly, even though we're sneaking coffee and donuts and chocolate all day. We insist get a hold of your rage, even though we don't. In short, we find it easier to work on our children than ourselves. Sometimes that is something that we do. This hypocrisy has disastrous results. Too many children legitimately view their parents and their teachers as insincere. Disrespect burgeons slowly until around ages 12 to 15. It shreds. Just ask my wife. She deals with middle school. Very, very difficult age, especially for girls. Kudos to her. Major kudos to her. At that age, it really shreds the parent-child or teacher-student relationship. Highly disrespectful to her as a teacher oftentimes. Highly disrespectful to their parents oftentimes. Then children reject the moral authority of the adults in their lives. They isolate themselves emotionally from parents and teachers and begin making their own often self-destructive decisions. Oftentimes, other times, these children thoroughly accept the lessons of their child. They might behave beautifully and do well in school, but they also absorb their mentor's inconsistency. By their late teens or early 20s, these children have mastered the art of hypocrisy, and much of their behavior has absolutely nothing to do with their stated values. These are the university-age students who claim they want a better world, and yet they purchase term papers off the internet. Even if we never did so in school, if we acted with hypocrisy in other areas of our lives, our children will absorb that lesson and practice it wholesale. Eventually, the real values and perspectives we parents and teachers planted through our own behavior, for better or for worse, show themselves if we want to raise children who will grow into good adults, we must plant the seeds of goodness with our own sterling conduct. Being a role model is not easy. Our children see us at all hours of the day, every day, under all circumstances, making it impossible to maintain a facade of ethical refinement. So I think to myself, my kids get up very massively early, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and they go to sleep. I try to get them to sleep at 6.30, 7 o'clock. I try to do bedtime. So let's say on a good day, they sleep from 7 to 5. So from five all the way to seven they're awake obviously they're at school most of the day but on days that they're not they're with us they're with me the whole day so even if there are times throughout the day that i might be upset or 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 talk to them not in my favorite way i try to make that we still have silly moments we still have fun moments we still have laughing moments and we still have have really great moments because we want it to be that they understand that I could be a way where I'm trying to get them to act right, but we're also fun. We want to be the authoritative. There's four types of parenting. There's neglectful, where you're not around at all. There's permissive, where you have no boundaries at all. There's authoritarian, where you're super controlling and super cold. But then there's the best where that's authoritative, as psychology explains to us, where you do set the law, you set the rules, but you're also loving and caring and fun. We want it to be that even if we have periods throughout the day, when I'm alachim, of course, yes, we may yell or scream or whatnot throughout the day, but hopefully throughout the day they see that good behavior, they see that good interaction, they see the good character traits, and they see that we're working on ourselves. We have to make sure to try to follow through. Good intentions don't always get good behavior. Have good intentions and good behavior. Even if we get angry, try to see if we can stop slipping out of control. Try to work on ourselves. Set aside time to develop our character, especially our patience. What can we do to sterile, to, to make our conduct into sterling conduct? A sterling guy is our con, un- conduct, if, we, if you will. When our forefather Abraham sent his servant Eliezer, interestingly, off to find a wife for son Isaac, 
Avram asked Eliezer to swear he wouldn't bring a home home a woman from the local Canaanites. Why? They were known for being murderers and thieves. Rather, Eliezer was told to select a woman from Avram's own homeland in Haran, even though those women were known to be idol worshippers. The question becomes, why was it okay for Eliezer to get a girl from Haran of idol worshippers, but not a girl from Canaanites, which were murderers and thieves? Only our character traits pass instantly without modification into our children. So the author of the Torah commentary, the Kliyakar, which is one of my wife's favorite commentators, asks, why so did Avram prefer this, the idol worshiper over the murderer or the thief? He answers that although we parents attempt to pass two inheritance to the next generation, our character traits and our beliefs, our DNA and our spiritual DNA, only our character traits pass instantly and without modification into our children. Our beliefs hover in spiritual no-man's land until our children choose to accept them or reject them. Meaning, Avram understood that murder and theft result from corrupt character. He reasoned that a woman from a family with corrupt traits would necessarily pass those traits on to her children, and the Jewish people would not do well with that. The Jewish people would need to make a massive effort in later generations to clean that out of their system, this character contamination away from them. Idol worship, even though it's terrible, in contrast results from mistaken beliefs. Unlike the inheritance of character traits, parental beliefs don't necessarily penetrate too deeply, and their superficial influence could be corrected quickly. Lahavdu, lahavdu, you could have someone whose parents are very evangel- evangelical Christians, but the children are like shaky, 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 and they're like, you know, this doesn't really seem true. I feel like there's more out there. And somehow we get a Noahide, or we get a convert who comes to our beliefs, even though their parents were like super, super, super Christian. Unfortunately, also, you could have someone who's very, very strong in many different cultures, and they stick to that, and that's not good either. But hopefully, we have many people strong in our culture, and everyone continues it generation to generation. But in general, here, we're talking about the difference from character traits to the mistaken beliefs. So here, the beliefs don't necessarily penetrate too deeply. Their superficial influence could be corrected quickly. As long as the character traits of Isaac's future wife were in order... And we knew she was chesed-based, and we knew she had the Torah base in her. A few introduction to Judaism classes could straighten out her beliefs, and her descendants then would be refined, faithful members of the Jewish nation. Some people use vads, which is a little group of people, or workshops, different groups to work on mitos and character traits, especially bad ones like anger, greed, and jealousy. Some talk to counselors or therapists on a weekly basis to vent off anger or frustration to work out problems. I myself talk to one on a regular basis, striving for a weekly. I believe everyone would benefit from talking to someone. And Pomerantz in her books actually shows how therapy really does solve a lot of things for a lot of people, trying to break the stigma. It is important to recognize problem traits to figure out how to learn about the particular character trait and how to work on it. A person needs to work on it consistently and long-term. A person should receive practical exercise and readings, maybe a counselor, that will help them internalize the character trait, discuss their successes and failures, especially people who went through losses, whether it be spousal, spousal or children or parent or friend, anyone should talk it out and deal with it with a therapist. Even years later, everyone could benefit, everyone should benefit from discussing it with a person every single week. This can be supremely helpful to be our best role model selves for others. Administrators, teachers, and parents have the opportunity to guarantee inheritance to those children, to those students. We need to work on ourselves to be the best version of ourselves for others, especially as role models for our children. Rabbi Blach explains on H.com from 2012, a very famous story that came out. 
Tragedy, Aristotle taught us, requires that someone prominent fall from lofty heights. It is the sudden abrupt plunge of a hero, quote-unquote, from his pedestal that defines true misfortune. In that sense, according to some, the story of Lance Armstrong surely qualifies. According to others, he is a victim of competitors, but the truth be that it really was what we thought it was. He won the Tour de France an unprecedented seven straight times, becoming one of the most accomplished athletes in recent history. He acquired almost iconic stature because of his heroic and ultimately successful triumph over the big sea that threatened his life at the young age of 25. Already a world champion cyclist at the time, with but a thin chance for survival, he conquered his illness and went on to even greater victories. He was more than a winner, this Lance Armstrong. He was an inspiration. His adoring fans around the world revered him as a role model. He was the paradigm of the human spirit, refusing to be defeated by affliction, overcoming all obstacles by indomitable courage. According to the U.S. anti-doping agency, banned substances played a crucial role in his amazing success. His need to win translated into a win-at-all-cost outlook. You can imagine probably move some specimens around so that it would come up clean. You can imagine that he tried to fudge things so it would come off clean. How sad. How sad for so many people, a role model. But we're telling you, just like Joe Lobacher at the beginning, just like Johnny Pitts at the beginning, made up people but not so made up stories because it's really based in truth. These stories like Lance Armstrong are, are one, in a di- one in a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. Wikipedia explains he admitted that he used EPO human growth hormone, and diuretics, and that he had his blood doped as well as falsified documents saying he passed drug tests when he really didn't. Doping helped him win for each of his seven Tour de France wins, Armstrong told Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey. The USADA made the controversial move to strip the cycling superstar of his historic seven Tour de France titles, lost all of them. The bronze medal he won at the 2000 Olympics and all other titles, awards, and money he won from 1998, August forward. He's now barred for life from competing, coaching, or having any official role with any Olympic sport. Armstrong decided to no longer fight the allegations long ago, triggering the contested punishment, ultimately exceeding and accepting the corruption of what he did. In a culture becoming more and more inured to corruption, to illegal practices, to dishonesty, and to fraud, in almost every area of life, the question becomes, where do we find the role models? Who is a real role model anyway? It's high time to make clear a simple truth that is at the heart of Judaism. Actions have consequences. We can certainly feel compassion for those who have made wrong choices in life that led to their downfall, but to feel sorry for them It's not the same as agreeing that there could be no penalty for their misdeeds. If there's no retribution for our actions, why bother being honest when it's so much easier and far more profitable to cut corners and then simply expect to be forgiven? The judgment against Lance Armstrong, interestingly, took place when Jews prepare for Rosh Hashanah, standing before God, who is the supreme judge of the universe. We also will be put on the scale for our fate every year. God's judgment is perfect. We better internalize the messages that our life's victories should be based on truth, not on fraud. So really, was he ever a role model for anyone, and can he ever be a role model for anyone? Someone else who's also a fallen giant pointed out by Rabbi Blech is Joe Paterno. It's a truth that was stunningly illustrated a few months ago in 2012, a remarkable story similar to a fallen giant. There probably was no one more successful football coach than Joe Paterno. I will take Rabbi Blech's word at it. I am not a sports person. I don't know anything about sports who led the Penn State Nittany Lions from 1966 to 2011. He coached five undefeated teams that won major bowl games and in 2007 was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. 
In all, he led the Nittany, or Nittany, or Nittany, Nittany Lions to 37 bowl appearances with 24 wins. Paterno was the only coach with the distinction of having won each of the four major bowls, Rose, Orange, Fiesta, and Sugar, as well as the Cotton Bowl Classic at least once. I'll tell you those names to make me a little hungry. Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl. Anybody have an orange? At least once. Penn State won at least three bowl games in each of the three decades between 1970 and 1997. Outside the Penn State football stadium stood a f- seven-foot-tall statue of the man who assumed mythical proportions. In July 2012, this statue, or 2011, the statue was removed from its pedestal outside Beaver Stadium to be stored in an unnamed secret location. The decision came 10 days after a scathing report by former FBI Director Louis J. Free found that Paterno had concealed allegations of child abuse made against former defensive coordinator Jerry Sandusky. Paterno chose to turn a blind eye to moral impropriety. He preferred to live by the famous credo that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. His victories were tainted by scandal. The outcome of his ethical failure was monumental. It was not only the removal of the statue that vividly marked the extent of his fall, the NCAA hit Penn State with a $60 million sanction, a four-year football postseason ban, and voiding of all wins dating to 1998. And Paterno's legacy will now reflect these vacated records. For years, it was a given that Penn State had won all those games. Now it turns out they didn't. How is it possible for winners to be losers? The answer is that we need to acknowledge not only is crucial for cyclists or football coaches, but for every one of us, winning isn't just determined by the score or who came in first. At least as important as being aware of how we got there. An unethical win is nothing less than a loss. So is he at all a role model either? It also reminds me of the Sean Payton scandal, also shown in the Netflix movie Home Team, which my wife and I just saw recently. Fascinating movie. Fantastic. Based on a true story. Sean Payton was suspended without pay for the 2012 season for his role as head coach in a scheme to pay players who hurt opponents and knock them out of games. I think he was the Saints, the New Orleans Saints maybe, a scandal that became known as the Bounty Gate. He was gone a full year and instead coached his son's middle school team of football. I don't know if in the end his, his team won the championship. In the movie they did not, but at least they got to the championship. And in that movie he had a major fall from grace. Eventually they let him come back and he coached again. And now in real life he's retiring this year for all of you who don't know. 2022 officially is his last year. The question becomes, he knew about what was going on that they paid players to hurt others. So is he a role model either? Really? Tainted wins are no substitute for eternal legacies. In terms of a great role model, a real role model, who can we think of? We could think of the great sage Rabbi Akiva. David Rosenfeld points out on H.com, Rabbi Akiva had 10 awesome points to think about. He was of humble origins. He saw inspiration and acted on it. You know, he saw the water hitting the rock. If water can make a dent in a rock, then fire, Torah, which is like fire, can make an indentation on my heart. He patiently started from the bottom. He literally started in kindergarten, in gone, in nursery with kids. And he worked his way up to be one of the greatest sages of all time. He patiently started at the bottom. He was no super genius. He was very, very smart. But in terms of the sages, they debate things often. And according to the article, he worked for years hard at his studies. He asked all the tough questions. It was all because of his wife, and he knew it. When he comes back after 12 years of studying, he overhears his wife talking to a neighbor, 
and it, and they say to his neighbor, "Where where is Akiva? Where is he? Don't you want him to come home?" And she says, "If Akiva knew that I was talking, I'd tell him to go back and study more." And he literally turned around, didn't say a word to his wife, and he studied for twelve more years. He comes back after twenty four years. Maybe it's metaphorical, but let's say face value is 24 years. He comes back, his wife runs through the crowd and literally falls at his feet. This great, great sage with thousands and thousands of people see this person in like tattered rags because they were dirt poor. And he says, everything that I have and everything that you have is all because of her, Rachel. Eventually, Baruch Hashem, his, his father-in-law who cut him off in the beginning, actually reinstates him, gives him money. Kiva makes enough money to give her a, a Yerushalayim Shel Zahav as a headband, which he promised many moons ago. Even Elio and Navi officially visited them, the Gemara points out, when they had no money, and they still gave straw to him. He pretended to have someone, be someone who didn't even have half straw. Very interesting. He never forgot his origins, that he started out dirt poor. He lost all 24,000 students. He kept going with the big five who kept the Torah going. He always saw the positive. Whatever God does is for the good, and he died a hero's death. We all know about the death. The Tenerul Gemalchus from the Romans, they literally comb Rabbi Akiva, a torturous, difficult, tragic, terrible, terrible death. And as he's dying, he's happy. He sings Shema Yisrael and he dies with the word of Khan on his lips. And his students say so much so, Rabbi. And he said, my whole life, I debated how to really talk about giving your life for Hashem. And now I'm able to do so. I'm not going to be happy. That is a real role model and a real hero. Adina Sokolov also points out on H.com, building good character in our children is the most important task we have as parents. It's lifelong. It begins and stays with us, and it goes with us, and we have to do it hand-in-hand with our schools and community. Really, they learn most from acting with integrity, morals, and compassion. They hear the the value system about Midos. Often, they only hear it when they're breaking the rules, but really, they should hear about it when they're doing the rules, too. Different ways to reinforce the values and good character in the children is about the role modeling. They watch our every move. We need to be a living, breathing model of how life should be lived. If you want your responsible children, you need to be responsible yourself. If you want respectful children, you need to be respectful yourself. you want grateful children, you need to be grateful yourself. In general, children need to grow up to embrace the values of their parents. That's why I'm so big on trying to say thank you and please, especially to the barista, the security guard, anyone we're involved with, anyone we call on the phone. Hi, how are you today? Can I tell you to help me with X, Y, or Z? What's your name? These are things I want my kids to see in them for them to continue in their own lives. It might take a while for them to see the fruits of the labor, but eventually they'll see it. doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It's a great lesson for children to see their parents struggle with challenges and strive to be better. Struggle even with moral challenges and strive to be better. It's helpful to say to children, I was so frustrated today. The computer wasn't working. I really wanted to yell at the technician, but I kept my cool. I asked him how his day was going. I asked him his name. I thanked him for his effort. I was polite. It was such an effort. When you fail and lose it, use it as an opportunity to convey another lesson. Boy, was I angry at the plumber today. He promised me he'd come at 9 a.m. first thing in the morning. He didn't show up till 5.30. I really let him have it. My anger got the best of me. I need to work on that. Also articulate expectations. Let your children know what's expected of them throughout the day as you set up their schedule. Examples. Wake up in the morning. We say Maudani. We get dressed. We brush our teeth. We eat breakfast. We, we pack our bags. We pack our gloves and hats and our jackets. Now every morning I always say, okay, let's get dressed. Let's have breakfast. Okay, everyone get your hats, gloves, shoes, jackets, masks on. Let's go. When they come home from school, make sure you take off your shoes. Come, let's sit down. Let's do homework for the one in first grade. Okay, make sure you wash your hands. Make sure you sit down. You eat. After you eat, we're going to put on pajamas. We're going to go to bed. On bath night, we're going to take bath. 
When they get home from school, often kids get the snack and the homework and they play outside. At dinner time, make sure to sit at the table even for five minutes. Eat what is served or make your own sandwich. Make the blessings, then ask to be excused. When we get angry, find a place to calm down. Count to ten. Yell in our own room into a pillow. Doesn't mean a child will always follow the rules. He's not a robot. But when children understand how a routine works, I'm very big on routine as an OT, of course. Have skills and manage them to get negative behavior and understand what expected of them. They're being set up for success. They have a better chance of behaving with good character. Catchphrases. Short phrases are an effective way to convey and instill the values of the home. You can use them over and over again like a broken record. It's hard to argue with neutral and non-confrontational one-liners. Cooperation. In this family, we clean up our toys after we use them. We put away toys before taking out new toys. We put away toys for Shabbos. Positivity. In this family, we look at the cup as half full. Perseverance. In this family, we try to meet challenges head on. Responsibility. In this family, we keep our word. Also praising. Be on the constant lookout for the good in their behavior. When pointing out children's good behavior, you want to be as specific as possible and focus on the actual positive behavior that we are noticing. We talked about this once another time. Psychology, the best thing you can do is positive reinforcement. Reinforcing things in a positive way, not saying, and that's saying like this: I love that you got a hundred on your test because you got a hundred on your test. I'm gonna give you an ice cream bar instead of saying because you got a hundred on your test. I'm taking away your chore for the night. That's still not the best. That's negative reinforcement, taking away something to reinforce behavior. Also better than positive punishment. You know, I don't like your behavior, so I'm gonna give you more chores. Doesn't work. I don't like your negative punishment. I don't like your behavior. I'm taking away TV time. Taking away something to to take away a bad behavior, these are all not good. The best thing to do, according to psychology, positive reinforcement. Focus on the positive whenever you can. PBIS also says this in schools, positive behavior intervention system. Be specific, possible, focus on the positive behavior we're noticing. Great job, good boy, too general. They don't work. In the long run, makes children feel more insecure and less capable. Some examples of how to use the technique for like kindness, instead of focusing on the negative, why can't you just share all your toys with Dara? Try saying this. You gave Dara one of your dolls. That doll is one of your favorites. That's sharing. You are being kind. Good manners. Instead of focusing on the negative, why do I always have to remind you to say please and thank you? Try this. You said please when you ordered your ice cream and thank you when you got it. You know how to be polite. Helping our children develop good character is one of the most important jobs we have as parents. Role modeling, articulating our expectations, using catchphrases, and praising appropriately can help us do that. If we implement some of these ideas, we can instill proper role modeling for our kids. And let's listen to the story from Nassano Saffron from H.com. You call this a portion? A kid snarled to the older man serving in his summer camp's cafeteria lunch line. Why I need a microscope just to see what it even is. Then again, maybe I don't want to know. Anyway, put that tiny thing back and give me a different one, the kid demanded. The man sighed and switched the kid's portion. Jay, who was a couple of places behind in line and had been watching the whole thing, turned to Ed, the kid one place in front of him, and whispered, Isn't it rude, the way that kid's talking to him? So what? Ed shrugged as the line moved forward. You must be new here. At this camp, everyone does it. It's the only way to get anything decent around here. Anyway, it's my turn. Ed held his tray up to the server. Give me something decent or you're going to have to scrape it up off the floor when we leave. After a few more snarks, he finally took his food and Jane, who was indeed new at the camp, reached the front of the line. Silently, he took the portion the man offered and moved on with a nod. And so it went day after day. Jay watched the camper's bad mouth rank on, make fun of, and gently trample 
over the various food service janitors and service personnel. While he, who had always believed in treating everyone with respect, didn't join in, he also found himself kind of getting used to their behavior. It didn't shock him anymore. It started to seem almost okay. One lucky lunchtime, Jay, who by now had become expert in the camp's schedule and layout, had actually beaten all the other campers in their mad dash to the cafeteria and was very first in line. He grabbed his tray and brought it forward to the server, who he hadn't seen there before, who proceeded to give him the puniest piece of chicken on the platter. Jay gulped. He was really hungry after a whole morning of sports and by now also had an expert on the rude, rowdy lingo his campaign hurled around. He got ready to let loose a string of insults and epithets that would put the stingy server in its place. He opened his mouth, but the words seemed stuck. He'd never mouthed off at an adult before. Sure, the other guys did it all the time, but deep down, Jay knew it wasn't right for them, and it wasn't right for him. Uh, thanks, he said. Do you think I could possibly possibly have a bigger piece, though, please? The server looked up as if checking Jay out, then shrugged. Why not? He said, switching pieces and sending Jay on with a grin. As he moved on, Jay looked back for no special reason and noticed that the line was moving faster than usual. Even the most obnoxious kids were just taking their portion and hurrying on. He sat down and Ed joined him. I got a lousy portion, but nothing I could do, Ed grumbled, picking at his plate. Before Jay could question him, the boy went on with drill sergeant. The head counselor taken over for the server who had gone home sick today. I didn't dare complain or he would have had me bounce from the camp. Or if I was lucky, maybe just had me do a gazillion jumping jacks instead. Hey, he looked at Jay's portion. How'd you end up with such a big good piece? Jay stopped chewing as he realized just how close he'd come to getting chewed up himself by getting drawn into his fellow campers in proper ways. It was simple. I just asked nicely. We have the power to be that good role model. If we model the good behavior, the good traits, we can see it in our kids. The work starts with us, teaching what we want to do, teaching what we do in our lives with good midos, good chesed, good mitzvahs and Torah learning. Who is a real model? Who is a real role model anyway? You. It all starts with you. You can and should be that role model as best you can be. You can even see when the source is in the Tanakh and in the Talmud. Yoma 35b, for example, Hill obligates the poor to study Torah, Rabbi bin Horsam obligates the wealthy, and Yosef Hatzadik obligates the wicked. For each category of people, there was a valid excuse for them not to learn Torah, not to be involved, not to be a good role model. But each of these overcame whatever was involved with them. Yosef overcame his inclinations and 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 his wants in life. Hillel overcame the poor, and Rabbi Elazar overcame the rich to be able to go study Torah. Talk about real role models. Each of these characters of people had major impediments in Torah, yet they persevered and won. Hillel was dirt poor, he had to pay half of his money to his family, half his money his tuition to the study hall. One day he didn't even have the money, he was on the roof. He was almost dead from pneumonia, from snow being piled on top of him, but he did it anyway. Yosef had a major test of his inner will, his inner strength at his house of work. He persevered. Rabbi Elazar had major wealth but persevered. Svarno Dvar points out, you have to observe all these matters in order that as their role model, your children will do also. Torah Aruch points out in Beratius, you will be the blessing by whom the nations will bless themselves when they quote you as a role model when blessing others and wishing that they should turn out to be like Avraham. Orachayim points out in Beratius, he was self-made. Didn't have a father served as a role model, Avraham? This is the reason that our prophet Yeshaya quotes God as describing Avraham as the one who loved him. Gray Matter points out, in a number of places, the Torah presents with the mission of serving as a role model for other nations. Because we have to be a role model not only for our children and families, but for the world at large with our behavior and actions. 
Gemara Chagiga points out something very interesting that come up that came up in Dafyomi just a couple of short days ago. The question becomes, how could Rabbi Meir learn Torah from the mouth of Acher? Elisha ben Avuya, one story talks about how he goes into the parties, which is this metaphysical, metaphorical gun, garden with Hashem. He's with Rabbi Akiva and Ben Zoma and someone else. One goes crazy, one dies, one comes out peacefully, Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, and one goes off the derach, Acher, Elisha ben Avuya. Another story says, Acher saw a child listening to his father to do a shiloh hakein, which is two missiles that guarantee long life, and the child goes up and falls off the ladder and dies. Acher, Acher says, how can this be? He did Shiloh HaKain, which, which promises long life. He did Kivra Aim, which promises long life. Hashem kills him anyway. Goes off the derach. So the question the Gemara has, and all of us should really have, is how could Rabbi Meir be a devoted disciple of Achel, Elisha ben Avoy, when he went off the derach? So the Gemara quotes different psukim that says Rabbi Meir learned from these psukim that he could still learn from Acher, Another example is that, you know, he he saw the teachings, saw the good teachings, not the bad teachings. My favorite example is that Rabbi Meir, the Gemara says, ate a half-ripe date and threw the peel away. In other words, he was able to extract the important content from the inedible shell. Rava taught, what is the meaning? I went into the garden to look at the and see the nuts. Just as this nut, despite being soiled with mud, excrement is content, is not repulsive, only its shell. So to a Torah scholar, although he is sin, his Torah is not repulsive. And then my favorite example, Rabbi Meir found a pomegranate, one of my favorite fruits, especially the juice, ate its contents while throwing away its peel. Indeed, your defense has been hurt. So Rabbi Meir threw away the peel, threw away the external, threw away the outside of of the bad aspects of Acher, of Elisha ben Nevoya, and he stuck to the teachings that that Acher had. One of the times Acher was walking with Rabbi Meir, and he counted the steps, 2,000 steps, and he said, Rabbi Meir, you're at the Tchum, you're at the boundary. Obviously, he was still very wise and very sagely and very smart in some ways, even though he went off the derach. And Rabbi Meir says to him, see, you still can hold Torah, you still can do mitzvahs, why don't you come back? Acher heard many, many psukim, from like 13 Bati Kinesios, the Gemara points out, that showed to him, in his belief, Hashem doesn't want him to return. Obviously, Hashem always wants everyone to return. But the point being, Reb Meir still figured out how Acher, Elisha ben Avoy, can be a role model. It's interesting. Pirkei Elvis teaches us, We're supposed to learn from everyone, even an Acher, even someone who goes off the derach, even someone who's sinning, because there's something to learn from everyone. You might have to throw away the peel. You might have to throw away the half-disgusted, date and save the rest of the date, but everyone can learn from everyone. Be careful, though, who your role models are and what you learn from them. Learn from everyone, but be careful what and how you learn. By contrast, Rabbi Akiva also entered the parties with others, but exited in peace and was a real full-life role model. Kedusha Slavi points out in Shemos, if God were to exercise so much self-restraint, he would be truly equal to us with his creatures. How could he serve for us as a role model authority? The Depsiona points out Ninveh provides an especially good role model since the people repent, repented the first time they heard rebuke from Anavi. The Torah points out in Boratius, having been on record as praying on behalf of people who had been already condemned, his way of life combining charity with righteousness and justice would prove to be an acceptable role model. Shane Lachosa Briss points out in Torah Shebuch Savin Toldos, since the world as a whole cannot measure up to a demanding standard, Yaakov combined with his person a blend of attributes to serve as a role model for future generations. Because being involved with the action of mitzvahs, Torah and Chesed, putting those things into action is a great way to show and be a role model to others. Redeeming Relevance points out in Devarim, 
Being at the helm makes the king an automatic role model. His subjects will naturally look up to him, and many will want to emulate him, especially success will make sure to be that good role model. Too many people in government, too many kings and rulers and role model, and quote-unquote role models really are not role models there at the subject of controversy and scam and scandal. Just look at different presidents in history of different societies, especially our own. You have to be that proper role model. The Davish Shavuot to Avodah points out an important personal role model should be even more stringent in avoiding any situations. Depths of Yonah points out one might think the story of Yonah is simply a story of a sinner who is punished and performed to shoo and repent, serving as a moral model for us, especially in Yom Kippur, but think about the deeper element. Redeeming Relevance points out while not every judge is a great role model, there is no question that as a group the judges remain much more loyal to the Torah and tenants to the kings. We should look up to proper role models and heroes, such as those in the Tanakh, who are True heroes like Avram, David, Eliyahu, and the like. Think about life and actions of people throughout history and current times to determine who is a real role model, who should deserve your looking up to them as a role model. Penina Halacha points out it's possible that he had been a better role model, he would have positively influenced them, that they would not have sinned. Finally, all Jews bear responsibility for one another. From David's instruction points out, Divrei Yamim instead focuses on many positive achievements which serve as role model of nation building for the new era. And it's like the idea in Yoshio and in Malachim Bet, where Yoshio was a good king, especially while his mentor was alive, that of Chalgyo, the Kohen who led him on the way and was a real role model and really raised him from the, from the tender age of eight. We can do well with good role models as long as we're around them and their influence. Without them, we could fall fast and hard. We need to be around proper role models and be proper role models to help those around us. In the narrow places, talks about that it is up to us to own a Jewish library for our spiritual and intellectual growth, to be a role model for our children, to show what it is to live by the word. The Rechaim points out in Shemos, Moshe commands the people to obey the instructions of any prophet in the future, as they can be a role model as a prophet and a ruler. Pnei Lacha points out, you're supposed to shelter the children and those around you from oppressors to have proper role model. And the Svarno finally points out, Bereshus we have to understand that Chava was the first mother. She's a role model for all mother and different elements of different people throughout history are our role models and should be our role models as well. And the points to remember, really, are you have to talk about and think about what real role models are. Each characters of people have different impediments in their life. Hillel, Yosef, Rabbi Lezer can show us as well. We have to be a role model for our children and families in the world at large with our behaviors and actions. Be careful who your role models are, what you learn from them. Understand to be a role model to others that your actions speak louder than words. Be involved with the actions of mitzvahs, Torah, and chesed, putting those things into action to show how to be a real role model. Look up to the proper role models and heroes, especially those in Tanakh, like David Eliyahu, Avram, and the like, real role models from Jewish history and current Jewish life who are really up to us. You know, the recent role models, Allah Shalom of Rabbi Sachs and Rabbi Feinstein and the rabbi from our own community and rabbis in general, those who are alive, those could be real role model stuff. Look up to those in our own society. Do well with real role models, those who are around us with good influence. We need them by our side constantly. Always have a rav, a selach rav, and make sure to have a good friend with you. Be that good role model. Influence those around you for good. Do a good at an action, deed, and practice. What can we do in our lives to be good role models for one another, for our kids, for those around us? Kids learn best from what we do, not what we say. Implement different ideas how to be role models for those around us. Hopefully we can answer that question. Who is a real role model anyway? You. You are. You can be. As ourselves, day in, day out, make the world better. Make the world greater. Think about what you can do in your own life to be that proper role model for you, your kids, and those around you. And hopefully we can make the world a much brighter place, a much better place. And hopefully we can bring Mashiach speedily in our days. And may that day finally be... 
today. This has been the TTL, Tiny Talks Live. Join us, God willing, in two weeks where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. And I'm your host, Tani.